0: take two trips to Israel. Uh, one was just three years ago when my wife Sheree and I visited Israel and we uh, visit what they think, well they know this was the ancient city of David. It's a portion of modern day Jerusalem and they took us through some ruins there that they said might have been what's left of King David's palace. It's just a pile of rocks right now really but they say that could have been where it is. On an earlier trip years ago, I took another trip to Israel, and we visited, and it's still a site you can visit today, David's tomb, or where they say David, uh, King David is buried. Um, there's no evidence that the body's actually there, but uh, to this day, there are Jewish people praying and mourning and wailing and grieving over the de- death of King David, because King David was the king par excellence for Israel. I was just thinking as I was standing here a few moments ago, that I don't know if there's any other personality in the Old Testament that is mentioned or referred to any more, with the possible exception of Moses, than David. And so... I, I, I want to want to frame this for just a moment, and then I'm going to do uh, what they call an acrostic. And the acrostic is spelling out this, these two words, David's heart. And uh, we'll come to that in just a moment. But um, we all know that we're living in a, um, uh, a culture at war today, right? We're aware of that. And there is a, uh, a movement afoot that is really trying to cancel culture as we have lived it and practiced it now for centuries in our own country. Um, they have tried to cancel uh, American history as something that is bad and recast it and reinvent it, wanting to cancel the family and marriage as we know it, and in some of them, really would like the state to take the place of parents in raising their children. Lots of things they're trying to cancel today. But you know, this isn't going to work. And I was thinking about this as I was framing this message this week in terms of comparing it with the heritage that we have. And I'm just going to talk about the Bible for a moment because this is a foundation that you can build life and civilization upon like nothing else. Cancel culture and the woke generation is doomed to be tossed on the garbage heap of history because it is created out of thin air. It's just imagining that this is how we would like the world and relationship and culture to work. And it's hitting some bumps in the road right now. But one of the things I taught in college was uh, world religions. And so I had the opportunity to uh, study other world religions. And I'm not going to make this into a discourse on that except to say this. I've read some of the holy books of Buddhism and Hinduism, especially Islam, taught a course on Islam, read great portions of the Koran, and I'm just telling you, now I'm admitting I'm biased, but there is no other book I've ever read that has the literary quality, the depth, the range, that speaks to every dimension of life, public or private, whether it's hygiene or government or worship there's nothing like the bible and one of those great characters in the bible is king david and so what i'd like for us to do today is we're going to do a heart examination of king david there's a passage of scripture i'll read it right now it comes out of first samuel 13 verse 14 The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him to rule, be ruler of his people. David was called a man after God's own heart. But God was looking for something other than what people look for in taking the measure of a man or of a woman. Here's another passage. God told Samuel... Looks. Looks aren't everything. Don't be impressed with his good looks and stature. God judges persons differently than humans do. Men and women look at the face. God looks into the heart. One of the things that is in crisis today is the definition of manhood, fatherhood, Along with that, womanhood, motherhood, the shape of the family. And I, as I was thinking about this message this week, I really paused. Is, is David really a good example of a great family man? I'll get to that in just a second. But there were certain qualities within King David that God saw that made him the greatest king as Israel ever had, and the Messiah himself came out of direct lineage of King David. So I want us to look, first of all, at David's heart disease, because he did suffer from heart disease. And as I go through some of these letters out of David's heart, Some of them are going to remind you a little bit of following the voice that we saw on that video that we just looked at that was very good. And I want you to be thinking of these, uh, if you're a man here, if you're a father here, if you're a son here. These are qualities that God found in David's heart that made him somebody he could build upon and build around. And those are qualities that God can use in our lives today as well. The D is, well, the, of, the, of the passions here, David had passions that burned like a wildfire. This is part of the heart disease. One of the things that comes to mind, it's in 2 um, uh, uh, Samuel, I believe it is, the story of Nabal and Abigail. Some of you might remember the story. David had a vigilante group that he was head of, and and it was really, some people think it was actually kind of a protection racket that they ran uh, to protect people from invaders and foreign kings, but he had his men, his mighty men around him, and they would expect to have some kind of compensation given to them for looking after the property, the livestock, the territory of different individuals. Nabal was one of those. And so they came and asked Nabal if they would help support David and his men. And he shaved off half their beards and sent them back to David. David could burn white hot with passion. So when they came back, David said, saddle up, men, and bring your swords. We're going to put an end to Nabal. You know the story? You remember the story, some of you. Nabal had a wise wife. For many men, it truly is their better half. And she was Nabal's better half. Abigail got food and commodities that they had from the camp and and rode out and headed off King David and convinced him that it would be morally wrong if he would follow through on his plan to execute Nabal. David cooled his heels and thought twice about it and thanked her for keeping him from committing a murder against Nabal. His passion ran too hot. And we know the story of David and Bathsheba, right? Now truthfully, Bathsheba knew what she was doing. She lived in a house nearby, and when David would go out on the roof of his palace, He could look out over the neighborhood, and conveniently, or coincidentally, I don't know, Bathsheba decided this would be a good time to bathe herself while David was out taking a gander from the roof, and we know what happened next. His passions would run too hot, and there was a price that David paid especially for that one later on abuse of power was something that David was guilty of. It might have been that before he was king, this band of men that he traveled with might have been sometimes borderline extorting money from some of these people in exchange for protection. We don't know. But we do know that for Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, David abused his power. There was a battle that was being fought, and so he had it conveniently arranged so that Uriah would be put at the front of the battle lines, and they went into battle, and then all the soldiers would withdraw from Uriah, and Bathsheba's husband would be a casualty of war, and then David, he thought, in clear conscience, would be able to to marry Bathsheba. Abuse of power, was it not? This is one of the things about King David. We'll come back to that a little later. So this is part of his heart disease. He had a dysfunctional family. This is why I thought twice about whether I should progress with this message for Father's Day or not. I'll tell you what. King David Oh, this is going to date me. How many of you remember the old program, Father Knows Best? Anybody here besides me? David was not Father Knows Best. There were all kinds of problems in his family. He was probably too busy running the kingdom to be the dad he should have been. I don't need to tell you a lot of stories about this, but there was incest, there was murder, there was treason. There was all kinds of things. That went wrong in David's family. He also sinned against the Lord in Chronicles. Second Chronicles we read, and we don't know a lot about what went on here. But David, against God's orders, took a census of his people. Counted them. But that was a sin against God. We're not sure why. Is this David relying on his own strength instead of the Lord's strength? We don't know. But for that, David would not be allowed to build the temple one day. Which was part of the dream of his life. There was dysfunction, there was brokenness in David's David's life. But for all of this, he was a man after God's own heart. So David had a big heart. The D is for devout. Devout. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. I'm telling you, in our language today, we would say David was a great churchman. In his day, he was a great tabernacle man. They didn't even have the temple built. But he was devoted to the Lord. That was where his unswerving allegiance was headed in his life. And one of the clear reasons why David was so outstanding as a leader, in spite of his flaws, used by the Lord in the way he was, was his devotion to the things of God. So as we go down the letters of David's heart, ask yourself, How you measure up, man or woman, here. Are you devoted? Or are you a mind divided? Do you vacillate? Are you prone to wander? Or is your devotion true? David, secondly, was authentic. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He was honest to the core, transparent to the core. He was authentic. He would fail from time to time. But there was an authenticity about him. You know, um, I just saw a couple of days ago that the congressional approval rating is only at 22 percent. And the only surprise to me was who are the 22 percent who actually trust these people? And one of the reasons, and this cuts across party lines, there is a lying spirit that has taken over Washington. Authenticity, honesty, has all been sacrificed on the altar of personal expediency or ideology. And I'm telling you, an inauthentic house, a dishonest government, Cannot sustain itself forever. Neither can an inauthentic man or father or woman. Authenticity was one of the qualities of King David. It's reflected just in this prayer of David that I've read here. Search me, God. Am I the only one here that has to have a regular prayer time and confess Things that I've done, omitted, or committed on a daily basis? That's not that I think I'm any worse off than the rest of you, but that's part of our fallen human nature, isn't it? Authenticity. David was a winner. He was victorious. There we go. Now, I don't have a passage of Scripture for this one, but you can just think of David's life if you're familiar with it all. What was the first great victory in David's young life? Goliath. So Goliath was the one I had in mind there. I mean, here he goes with his slingshot, and he brings down Goliath. But he became the mighty warrior in Saul's class of warriors that was there. So much so that Saul was jealous of him because the people were shouting, "Uh, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. He was a winner. But his winner, or his victories, were not the result of intrinsic power or capability within him. In fact, we don't know whether he was fully grown yet or not, but he was a runt compared to Saul, he couldn't even go out against Goliath in Saul's armor that was there. It, what was, it was what was in the heart and he came against Goliath not as a mighty man but in the name of the Lord. And that's where he fought his battles and that's where he found his victories and that's where we find victories in our homes and families and marriages and with our children. Today, victorious a man or a woman after God's own heart is a winner. Not because you aren't tested. Not because there aren't obstacles. Not because there aren't uh, setbacks. But because your eyes are on the Lord and you follow the plan and the mission in the strength and the name of the Lord that God has for you. David was imaginative. I've got a, a, a quote I came across from Einstein here. Here it he is. Imagination is everything. It's the preview of life's coming attractions. In that quote, the full quote goes on to say, Imagination is more important than knowledge. David was ingenious. He was inventive. There was great curiosity. His imagination would take him in different areas of his life. It's David who wrote the Psalms. It's David who soothed the spirit of the vexed soul of King Saul by playing his harp. It's David that would lay imaginatively the battle strategy when he was going to war. It was imagination. God wants us to be imaginative. To dream, to imagine, to envision things that we can do in the name and in the presence and in the power of the Lord. I've got something, and I'm going to ask you just to pray about this one for me. Tuesday at lunch, there's a group of pastors from different denominations. They've asked me to be a part of this team. And we are laying a strategy to invite And they've already agreed to come, Vanguard University, to open an extension campus in Las Vegas. You realize Las Vegas, that would include Clark County, is what, 2.2 million or something like that now. There is not one accredited Christian college in the whole of Southern Nevada. And we need to have a Christian voice to counter some of the other radical ideas that are coming from other institutions today. We're going to be doing some imagining, envisioning, strategizing. Seems like an impossible task. We've made a little bit of headway already. But without imagination, the possibility of something like that would never happen. Now, in your own Marriage, in your own home, in your own life, in your own career. Are you daring to imagine? To dream? If you don't, I guarantee you, you're not going to make any progress. And it's not that everything we imagine comes true. But nothing is going to happen if we don't dare to imagine. Now the next D in David's life is... Is he was daring. This was someone that was not afraid to fail. And he knew failures in his life. What was it I saw on a little quote the other day? Holy Spirit, zero it in. He's not giving it to me clearly, so I'll just give you a paraphrase. If you have never failed, you've never tried. You've got to be daring. You've got to have that kind of courage to take a step. You know, um, here we are in Las Vegas, retired. Um, In a week, we're heading back up to the Oregon coast. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) We'll be holding fires in the evening. We'll be crabbing during the day. We've got friends and family coming to visit us. We get to spend the month of July there. But it was just over a year ago now. The plans actually began a little earlier than that. That my kids wanted me to move back to Vegas. I said, why? We've got a great house with a swimming pool here in Eugene. But the Lord started speaking to us, you know, about being there for our kids and our grandkids. I miss the greenery of Oregon. I miss the coast. I miss hot days in Coquille that might hit 80 degrees. But I'm sure glad we had the courage to dare to move here. And God is working it out. We're closer to the kids and connecting with grandkids. I'm reconnecting with other pastors. I hadn't been in town here for 16 years. And Faith, uh, Sheree and I talk, (laughs) that's a private joke, but we won't say anything about that one. No, as you know, I had a previous marriage and her name was Faith and I just just called Sheree Faith. Anyway, that's not a Freudian slip, I promise you. But anyway, but it's just been good to see how God has blessed the chance we took. Be courageous, be daring. Spiritual. This I was thinking of with that video that we were uh, looking at earlier. Listen to the voice. David said this in the 119th Psalm. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He didn't rely on the strength of his army. He didn't rely on his own brilliance. But he drew on the word of the Lord. I'm telling you, there is a dynamic that happens when written word re- meets Holy Spirit and the Spirit brings that word to life and gives enlightenment to us. David didn't listen to the voice says. He listened to the voice of the Lord. And that's what we need to be listening to as well. What is the Lord saying in my life? We need to be spiritual. And that that involves an element of faith. Of taking a chance on the things that we don't see and we don't yet fully understand. But the Holy Spirit will confirm in our heart. Do you give spirituality lip service or is it an active controlling ingredient in your life? And I'm telling you, when our life is where it should be, when we're listening for the Lord, to the Lord, He does speak into our life. It's a whisper. It's a nudging. At first you're not even sure, especially when you're beginning to try to be spiritual in these areas. Is this my own imagination? Is it my own wishful thinking? Is it something else? But you learn to recognize the persistence of the impulse of the Spirit and the direction it gives and the doors that open for you as you listen to that voice. Next word. We got through David's. Now the next one is hopeful. The H is for hopeful. My help comes from the Lord. I think you could almost use as a synonym for help there the word hope. My help, hope, comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, now and forevermore. Isn't that a great psalm? When you were in high school literature class, how many of you remember or had to read uh, Allegra Dante's The Divine Comedy? Anybody read The Divine Comedy? It's one of the great classics. And it's a a tour of purgatory and hell written in the 14th century by the great poet Dante. And there's very few people that actually slip into the pit of hell. There's lots of people that do hard time in purgatory in Dante's Inferno. But over the gates of hell Are these words, abandon hope, all who enter here. When I was pastoring here years ago, I would visit elderly people in the church that had been put into assisted living and care facilities. And I think the feeling I didn't like the most about just passing through those gates You could almost feel the spirit of hopelessness among those that were there. Some whose families didn't come and see him very much. Some, you know, they they were disabled or impaired in one way or another. David was always hopeful. It always sprung back in his life. Where there is faith in your life, there is always hope. You're never without hope. And if you feel, and and once in a while, I'll get discouraged too. I thank God I'm not bipolar and don't have to battle that downside. But yes, I'll get depressed. I'll get discouraged. But you know what I've learned to try to do is honestly say this. Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written. God has not designed us for despair and defeat. But we are to always have hope. I've got a close relative that called me last night. She's a doomsday prepper right now. She's convinced that famine is coming, and she might be right. She wanted to know, since I've hunted, and, you know, and, I, and she called me up and said, Stan, can you tell me how to can meat? And I said, no, I can tell you how to make jerky, you know, but not that. And they are stockpiling water. She's canning meat. She lives in urban Las Vegas. I said, what are you going to do when they cut off the electricity? She said, that's why I'm canning my meat right now. I said, where are you going to go? She said, we're just going to barricade and try to wait it out. You know, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a little more hopeful than that. I think God will provide for us. He will make a way. And if we have to go through the valley of the shadow of death, He's going to be there to comfort us and guide us and sustain us. Hope. I don't know whether it's your marriage, whether it's your personal life, whether you feel like you've engaged in compulsive behaviors that you can't control. There is always hope. When we have our eyes and set our hope on the Lord and the promises that he has for us. Enthusiastic. Some of you will remember this story. This is when they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And Michael, who was Saul's daughter, who was David's wife, had um, thought of herself now as too dignified and aristocratic. And so when the Ark was coming into town, This is what she saw David doing. David, wearing only a linen cloth around his waist, danced with all his might to honor the Lord. His wife shamed him for it, Micah. And she became the wife in exile for that. And David said, I'll even make a bigger fool of myself. I'm thrilled and excited to have the presence of God coming into Jerusalem. Jerusalem. You know, um, there was a survey done some time ago about leading CEOs, chief executive officers of Fortune 500 companies, some of these big companies. What is the common denominator that these CEOs hold in common? Is there some trait? Is it the schools they went to? No, no. Some of them didn't go to school, and their average GPA, grade point average, was a C+, plus. Uh, was it that they, they were born into blue-blooded families, and they kind of inherited this. Well, maybe some, but no, most of them were rags-to-riches type guys. Look at Elon Musk. Okay? Uh, so they went down the line. They found that the one characteristic that they held in common was passion. They believed in that business and that product. And that passion is what is what lit them up and set them on fire. God wants us to be enthusiastic. Now, now, go back to David's heart disease for a second. It's that misplaced passion or enthusiasm that could get him in trouble. But when it was focused on the Lord, that became the energy... That built the fire in his heart that got, got things done. God wants you to be enthusiastic and passionate about life. H-E-A. The next A is allegiance in David's life. He was loyal, not only to God, but to his mighty men. They stood with him. Remember when that, to honor their, uh, their leader, they brought David water from the well that was down in the enemy camp, and they brought it back for David to drink, and David took it and poured it out on the ground. And he said, I can't drink this water that you risked your lives for. Thank you for what you've done. And all that did was build a bond, a stronger bond between them. To whom or to what are you pledging allegiance? Is it to the Lord? Is it to your family? Is it to your kids? Is it worthy of the allegiance that you have in your life? Get committed. Get dedicated. Get focused. Because when you have an allegiant heart, that is something that God will honor. If it is focused on those things that God has put in your heart. Next to the last thing is David was repentant. I'm rolling my R's here because there's two of them. Repentant and resilient together. Here's the account. The story is this After the sin of David and Bathsheba, a son was born. David thought he'd committed the perfect crime. Uriah was gone. But God had those crusty old prophets around and Nathan was one of them. So Nathan came into the king's presence and to uh, just cut right to the chase, exposed David for what he had done in having Uriah sit out to die. And for that, David's son would die. Well, David went into sackcloth and ashes. He was unconsolable. He was repenting before the Lord and praying for God to spare the life of his son. And days went by he wouldn't eat. There was nothing you could do to comfort him. And they were afraid to tell him the news when his son actually died. The son died. They told him the news. He got up, got dressed, and said, let's fix dinner. And his servants said, his attendants asked him, Why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now that the child is dead, you get up and eat. David answered, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, Who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead... Why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back to me again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Those last words have always stuck in my head. David was thoroughly broken and repentant. But he knew that when God had settled the matter... It was time to get up and move on. How many of you, there's some of you that are as old as me here. How many of you remember Richard Nixon and the Watergate trials? You know, Richard Nixon was actually a a good president in terms of things he accomplished. Uh, I don't need to give a list of those, but he was very effective. But that Watergate break-in is what brought him down. Even historians now in reviewing the presidency of Nixon are saying, you know, he accomplished quite a few things. He's the one who opened the door to China. He's the one, There were just, uh, he created the Environmental Protection Agency. There was a lot of things that he did. And the consensus is now, as history looks back and can have a clearer perception of things, if Richard Nixon had just repented and said, you know, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done this. That he may not have been impeached. But it was that resistant and defiant attitude that brought him down. Now, this is without, because I don't know all of you here, and God bless you if you're a Democrat. I'll pray that the Lord heals you. But anyway, um, I pray every day for President Biden. I really do, sometimes through clenched teeth, because I don't like the things that he's doing. But as I was thinking about this last night, the Lord reinforced to me to pray for our president. And I do believe that if he would acknowledge, and those around him, that things aren't working the way he thought they would, That he would find a gracious and forgiving population that would honor that repentant heart and, and give a new beginning. That's just part of our nature. And that would be a wonderful thing for us as a people and for him to save his presidency. Now, that's not just for leaders of state. That is for all of us. Why is it so hard for us to say I'm sorry or I was wrong? How many remember happy days? And the Fonz. What was the one word the Fonz could never bring himself to say? Anybody remember? Wrong. I was wrong. And he could never get it out. How many of you are like the Fawns Or like President Nixon? When we learn to be repentant, there is a resilience that rises up. David rose up, cleaned himself up. I still have hope. God is still on my side. And it turns out, and God in His mercy does these things, the next child that was born to Bathsheba, was Solomon, who became, you know, this is one place where I sometimes actually question the wisdom of Scripture. I don't have a problem with saying that for a time, Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. But anybody who has 700 wives and 300 concubines is crazy. (laughs) I'm just telling you. You But David was resilient. And that is the thing in our lives we have to be. Maybe you've failed as a parent. One of the things I learned when my kids were growing up, and it was hard for me to do, but on more than one occasion I did it, I would say, your dad was wrong. And I'm sorry. There's nothing wrong with that. Repentance and resilience. Last letter is a T. And it's for tested. This comes out of the 119th Psalm. I want to set the stage for this one. As I read this Psalm, and this chapter is the longest chapter in the Bible. I'm just going to read two verses out of it. But there's a section here, verses 71 to about 76 or 77. It just sounds like this is the reminiscence of a mature man now that is reflecting back on his life. And he's remembering how he was victimized by his heart disease and the things that it cost him, the collateral damage that came from his mistakes and his failures of his heart disease. The key word here, and I'll read these verses now, it was good for me to be afflicted. Affliction is something that comes upon you that you can't control. You might have brought it on yourself, the affliction of losing the first child born to Bathsheba. He brought it on by his actions, but it was God who pronounced the sentence over that child. Sometimes affliction comes to you and it's something you have no control over. You're afflicted with a disease and why did this happen to me? Affliction. And David is thinking about those things that happened in his life. They were part of his heart disease and the consequences it brought to his life. And reflecting on that, here is what he says. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Why is it that some of us are so hard-headed? We could learn the lessons the easy way, couldn't we? But there's nothing like picking up the pieces after an affliction in our life and seeing the beauty of of God's laws, how they work, how life just purrs and hums and sings along when we're following what God has asked us to do. How many of you here have gone through, honestly, hard times in your life? Can I see your hands? Most of us. Maybe all of us, if we're honest. How many of you that have faced that with faith and persevering faith, would not trade that experience for what you learned having gone through it. Can I see your hand? How many of you want to go through it again? No. It's good that we are afflicted because that's what tests us. That's what's become the measure of who we are and what God can do in our lives. I pray just like you do that God will get me out of this one. And sometimes praise God he does. But sometimes the testings are the things that are the most valuable in our lives. So the last question is this. What about your heart condition? Uh, Are you faint of heart? Or you just don't have the courage to take a stand? Are you suffering from heart disease? There are behaviors, sins that you've coddled for years that keep you from stepping into the victory that God has for you. I don't know what the condition of your heart is. But I'm here to tell you that just like King David, you can turn, you can bounce back, and you can walk in victory and walk across what are the ashes of defeat and step into victory in your life. Could we stand together?